Our reading this evening is from the first epistle of Peter, chapter 3, and we're going to be reading from verse 1 through to the end of verse 7. That's page on 1219 in the Pew Bibles. 1 Peter 3 and verse 1. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word... They be what may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, Be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Amen. Good evening. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, Where we're going this evening is on the back of the uh, the little pink sheet. You might want to... uh, to follow it, where we're going there, and uh, you might want to keep your Bibles open too, uh, at uh, page 1219. I'm going to move this or I'm going to knock into it. Let me just pray before we start. Father God, may my words now and may our thoughts be acceptable to you. Amen. There have been some pretty lousy adverts uh, around. There we are. Um, This is for a a bar in Harnia in Crete. Um, Not sure who would have gone to that one. Uh, Not a great advert. Next one's not such a bad advert, but probably the placement of it wasn't brilliant. I don't know uh, what you thought about uh, that reading we had just now uh, and what sort of an advert that feels like for the Christian faith, uh, especially in, uh, in modern Britain. Because um, it seems to say, uh, wives, uh, you're the weaker sex, so keep quiet, do as you're told, don't waste your money on fancy clothes. That's kind of the gist of 1 Peter 3, apparently. Of course, if you have read it like that, you've got the wrong end of the stick, haven't you? This is not a set of rules on how Christians have to live if they're going to get to heaven. The Bible's very clear, isn't it? We get to heaven uh, simply by trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is not a set of rules uh, of how we're going to uh, please God in some way or or other. And in fact, a better question uh, to ask of it uh, about this chapter is not to sort of criticise it as being an advert, but to ask, 
what sort of an advert am I? What sort of an advert for Jesus are you or me? Because that's really what this passage is all about. Uh, and, and it starts, doesn't it, with in the same way in the opening of verse that David read to us. And that references us right back uh, to uh, chapter 2 and verse 12. And you'll see there that Peter says, Dear friends, live such godly lives among the pagans that they will see your good deeds and glorify God. And that is really important. That is the context for everything that Peter writes after that, and especially uh, this chapter. It's about living in the world in such a way that people see Jesus in us. So the aim of this passage is not to give us a set of rules to follow, but it's to help us to point people to God. Well, that's one, not exactly a misconception, but one thing perhaps to get clear. Um, Another thing to, to make clear about this passage is that although Peter's talking about husbands and wives, he's actually also talking to everybody here. You see, what's been happening in Peter is that he's been working through, and he's continuing to work through, different, uh, different types of people. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, Tim was preaching to us, uh, and he was talking about slaves and servants. Uh, and, and later on, uh, chapter 4, Peter will be uh, talking to the older men. And each time there's a shift in the teaching point. Each time there's a slight shift of emphasis in what Peter wants us to take away but the underlying message is the same every time that how we live out our lives uh, affects other people and can draw people uh, to Christ you, you see a similar sort of pattern this idea of, of working through different people with the same message you think what happens in the Sermon on the Mount uh, where, where Jesus says blessed are the poor blessed are the meek blessed are the pure in heart blessed are the merciful and there's a blessing attached to each one. It's not a strict pairing. Jesus is saying all these blessings are available to all these types of folk. So it's really a way of framing God's blessings to all those who follow him. And that's important because many people in this room are not husbands and wives, and you might think you're going to doze off for the next 20 minutes or so, Um, but please don't, because this message is as much for you as it is uh, for husbands and wives. Now, if that's true, then there must be some sort of general principle uh, uh, in this passage uh, that everybody can relate to. And, of course, there is. Uh, And you'll find it in verse 4. And tucked away in verse 4 is that little phrase translated in our versions as the inner self. Now, sometimes when you're preparing and you're reading a passage, a little phrase just niggles at you, doesn't it? It just grabs you and doesn't leave you alone. And I hit that phrase and was just looking it up in various commentaries. Um, And uh, the Greek translation for that phrase, I think it's lovely. It's the hidden person of your heart. Isn't that a great description of what Peter's talking about? The hidden person of your heart. 
Peter's saying this is the real you. That's the real person hidden inside you. That's what Peter, that's who he's addressing. And of course the interesting thing about that, the hidden person of our heart is where Jesus lives. And Peter's concern then is that everybody we come across should see that hidden person of our heart and see where Jesus lives. He shouldn't be hidden any longer. We should be showing people Jesus. There are several men in my wife's life. Uh, This is one of them. Uh, A.W. Tozer. Uh, He was a great uh, preacher and writer from uh, from the last century. Uh, And he writes really pithily, um, really short chapters in the thousands of books we seem to have scattered around our house. Um, But one of the things he writes about, he calls the divine indwelling. And uh, I thought I'd just read you a quote. It's, It's a bit of a long one, but I couldn't express it better. He says, The doctrine of the divine indwelling is one of the most important in the New Testament, and its meaning for the individual Christian is precious beyond all description. To neglect it is to suffer serious loss. In John 14, Jesus says, If someone loves me, we, that is the Father and the Son, will make our abode with them. And he says, Christ says of the Holy Spirit, he will be in you. Without question, the teaching of the New Testament is that the very God himself inhabits the nature of his true children. Paul calls this wonder of the indwelling God, God a rich mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So when we become Christians, Jesus lives in us and our inner person, that hidden person, becomes Christ-like. And if you want to know what that means in practice, what that begins to look like, then verse 4 tells us a bit more. Because Peter refers, so you'll see the phrase there, the unfading beauty of a quiet spirit. I don't know what you think of yourself, of, as. But isn't that amazing? Peter's saying that hidden person is beautiful in God's eyes. Whatever you think of yourself, when we trust in the Lord, God sees us as beautiful. I think that's a fantastic promise, isn't it? However you look, however you feel, Whatever the world is telling you about yourself at the moment, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what's happening to you. Doesn't matter what's happening to your body. Doesn't matter what's happening to your mind. God says, your hidden person, your inner self, is beautiful. And what's more, that beauty is unfading. It's immortal. It's not man-made. Won't wash off with the mascara or whatever. It is how we will be Forever, What a fantastic promise. You get a little hint of that again in um, in verse 7, where Peter, he's referring to wives there, but also to all of us, where he describes us as heirs of the gift, or heirs of the gracious gift of life. It's another reference to that eternal future. And Peter says that unfading beauty of that hidden person will show itself 
in a gentle and quiet spirit. And we're talking about Jesus dwelling in our hearts. And you think what Jesus says in Matthew 11. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because, what does he say? I am gentle and humble in heart. So that is our Christ-like character. That is the hidden person in your heart. If you trust the Lord Jesus, it's a Christ-like character, Christ within us. And Peter wants others to see Christ in you uh, and in me. And he wants us to behave in such a way that that can happen, that others will be able to see Jesus in us. So keeping that in mind, let's just think about how that plays out in marriage, but not just in marriage, uh, in, in all our relationships. And I want to pick out just uh, two aspects, really, uh, from this passage. Um, firstly, just towards the end, actually, verse 6. You say, it says, verse 6 says, there should be no fear in our relationships. Now, Peter doesn't say where that fear might come from. Uh, There was an awful statistic on the radio this morning saying one in seven children suffer physical violence in the home. And I guess it goes without saying that physical violence has no place in any of our relationships and in our marriages. But Peter doesn't actually specifically mention that. He talks about fear. And of course, fear can be much wider than to do with physical violence. Um, I don't know whether anybody knows um, this person coming up next, but if so, I suspect he might need counselling because I am worried about Paddington's spiritual condition. Uh, Paddington is famous for not only his marmalade sandwiches, but also his hard stare. He learnt it uh, from Aunt Lucy. and he reduces you to a wreck uh, with his hard stare learned in the Peruvian jungle. But actually, we can behave like that, can't we? We can intimidate other people. Maybe you've got a, a hard stare uh, that you use sometimes. Um, I don't know how people react to that. It's not always a hard stare, is it? It can be a, a, a stony silence. It can be fear of the the tantrum, fear of the reaction if someone says something to us. Peter says there should be no fear in our relationships. I guess this is something for the folk who actually, uh, you know you're doing it, we know we're doing it, don't we? My children accuse me of being a walrus occasionally. In fact, they even gave me a walrus moustache once uh, to point out uh, that my behaviour sometimes is a little, uh, little grumpy. Um, sometimes we need these things pointing out, don't we? But there's to be no fear in our relationships. And if that does exist, we need to repent and sort it out, don't we? Secondly, of course, and it's where he starts, uh, we talks about submission. I put this slide up much too early. That spoils the fun. Never mind. It's there. We'll leave it there. No, we won't. It'll distract us. We'll go back to Paddington. <laughs> there needs to be... Um, submission and love in our relationships and a really key point is that submission and love go together 
Uh, and that was really especially true of the folk that um, Peter was writing to here. So the wives he was writing to, you can tell from the passage, the wives were married to, to non-Christians. So Peter is saying, your behavior should be such that these folk uh, are, are led to the Lord. But in those days, the wife was expected to follow the husband's religion. So whatever religion you married into, you just took it on and, and you went on. So the wives here had a problem because they weren't submitting to their husbands. They were doing something countercultural. They were following the Lord, whatever their husband thought. So they had a dilemma. Uh, did they leave their husbands? Was that the right thing to do? Did they give up Christianity completely and do what their, their husband said? Or whatever. What should they do? Uh, and Peter says, no, you don't. You stay where you are and you submit. That is the Christian model. And you model Christ to your husband in that submission. And you show Christ's indwelling. You show the Christ in you by your behaviour. And husbands, well, they had exactly the opposite situation. So Peter could well have written to the husbands and say, husbands, tell your wives to convert. Tell them to go to church with you. But he doesn't, does he? He says, show them Christ's character. Show them love. You love them. You see, it's the same principle working both directions, submission and love. And that applies to all our relationships. All our relationships between us uh, in this room are one of submission and love. Scripture says we submit to one another. And it says we love one another. There's no qualification to that. That is what we are called to do. Uh, we're not called to order each other about. We submit, we love, we love, we submit. That is our calling. Christ loved and submitted even to the point of death on the cross. So who are we to do anything less? And in practice, that means we change our behaviours. It means we won't show off. We, won't be, we will be pleased when other people succeed. Uh, we won't get cross if we don't like how we are treated. Uh, we will look out for each other. We won't get upset by what other people say and do. We forgive and we forget and we move on. So the hidden person of our heart with Christ's indwelling, has an unfading beauty, peace, gentleness, love and submission. And as we allow God's Holy Spirit to work in our lives, then we pray more people will see the Lord Jesus. Now the trouble with this is, to use a friend's phrase, it all sounds a bit weedy, really, doesn't it? It all sounds a bit wet. Uh, being meek and mild sounds a bit like uh, being a snowflake, or, which was the point of the Teletubbies, uh, being a bit like uh, a Teletubby, uh, flipsy, mipsy, doodah, and what's it, whatever they're called, I, 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 I don't know. Um, but isn't that the idea that comes to our mind that we're all called to be Teletubbies? It's a bit of a depressing calling, if that's the case, isn't it? Well, of course, the, the good news of the Bible is that it doesn't mention Teletubbies anywhere. Uh, and in fact, uh, the meekest man on earth certainly 
didn't look like a, a Teletubby. Um, I've got his CV here. Uh, let me read it out to you. Um, whoops, gosh, we are having fun. Brought up as a prince of Egypt, argued with God, stood up to the most powerful man on the planet, virtually single-handed, led his people for 40 years, parted the Red Sea, won various battles, made new law, crushed several rebellions, and of course we know who that is, Moses. And Moses, in Numbers 12, verse 3, is described as the humblest man on earth. Moses was not a Teletubby. You probably knew that already, but uh, just point it out. So a gentle and quiet spirit is not about being feeble. It's quite tough. It's living out love in perfect submission to God. And that's what Peter wants us to do. But actually, Moses didn't find it easy, and we're not going to find it easy. It's all very well saying, you know, perfect submission, all this stuff. It's not easy. Let's quote Tozer again. Uh, It's talking about the same thing. He says, the truth is that while Christ dwells in the believer's new nature, he has strong competition from the believer's old nature. The warfare between the old and the new goes on continually in most believers. I think probably in all believers, that warfare carries on, doesn't it, between the old and the new. And of course, that's why Peter's having to write. If it, wasn't, if it was easy, he wouldn't have had to write in the first place. We need help uh, in, in, in living as we should do. And Peter knows that there's a battle going on, and we're in a warfare between our indwelling God and our old sinful self. And that battle will manifest itself, it'll show itself uh, in visible ways, in in how we behave, uh, and in what we do. And that is why, in the middle of the passage we've just been looking at, we get reference to these elaborate hairdos that the wise were indulging in. Uh, Elaborate hairdos, extravagant clothes, expensive jewellery. It was clearly all getting a little bit over the top. So a moment for a a little bit of group participation for you while I have a glass of water. Here's a question for you. Um, Why do you think that these wives in Turkey in the first century, wherever it is, why do you think they were spending so much money and time, presumably, and effort on hair and clothes and and, and jewellery? What was going on in their mind, do you think? Why did they do it? And just to make sure we stay inclusive, there we are, it's not just women. Men as well. I suppose that could be a woman, but I'm assuming husbands and wives together. So there's your question. Why? Just talk to your neighbour for a second. Why were they doing it? What was the motivation? Well, you're in danger of going off subject in a minute, so uh, 
I don't know what you came up with, but I, I, I was thinking it through because the Bible doesn't tell us, but I guess, uh, I guess they wanted to impress. Uh, I guess they were showing off. Uh, I guess there was peer pressure. Um, maybe there was competition. I don't know. But uh, whatever it was, we're not told. But there's certainly something there driving them to behave like that. So here's another question. Uh, and whatever you came up with in your little conversations just now, assuming you were answering the question, um, what do you do for the same reason? You don't have to discuss this. Um, but what do you do for the same reason? What do you do to show off, to impress? What does peer pressure uh, make you do? Because human nature hasn't changed, has it? We're all doing something. We all feel the need to impress. We all like to get praise from other people. And what Peter is saying is, look, when we're behaving like that, then actually we're drawing attention away from Jesus and we're focusing on ourselves. And that's the challenge here. And we need to think of those things, don't we? I don't know what it is in your life, but we need to reflect and meditate and say, where does... Uh, the Spirit needs to work in our lives and help us show Jesus more. And then we'll have to deal with it. Presumably they have to throw away the curling tongs. I don't know. There may be practical things you have to do. I'll give you an example. I was thinking about this uh, in, in my life and uh, sort of made this, not just me actually, because it's not just me who does this, I don't think. Um, but when people say, how are you? Have you noticed now we tend to say, oh, I'm very busy. We don't tend to say, oh, very well and then talk about something else, because nobody's interested in how you are, but we say, I'm very busy. And, we, and we're hoping someone's going to say, oh, dear, I'm so sorry, why are you so busy? What's going on? And it's telling the other person, not quite important, really. You know, I've got a lot on, I've got a little bit of time for you, you know, happy to share it, but uh, I'm a very busy, important person. It's just taking the conversation, on the focus onto me, isn't it? Peter says, everything we do should allow people to see Lord Jesus. So, there are some very practical things to do in response of what Peter's talking about here. Um, and to be fair, first century hairdos may seem a very sort of old and odd battle or warfare to be revisiting. So, we'll come slightly up to date, um, but not hugely. Uh, we're just celebrating, well, celebrating is not the right word, but this is the 100th anniversary, almost to the day, of the end of the Battle of Cambrai uh, in the First World War. Uh, and Cambrai was a very famous battle because it was the first time the British used tanks properly. And that's why you see thousands of the things, well, no, not thousands of the things, but lots of them uh, trundling across no man's line. It was the first time the Allied had used a war-winning weapon. And Peter's going to end this little section that we're looking at with another war-winning weapon. And it's a great verse to focus on, especially as we've got to the end of this week. Because look at verse 7. Peter says, don't let anything hinder your prayers. Nothing should hinder our prayers. And he knows that uh, things will get in the way. And yet we need to pray. Jesus, you think about it, Jesus prayed and prayed and prayed. We know that. And he was tempted in every way. So he was tempted to 
spend money on flashy cars. He was tempted to say, oh, I'm terribly busy in the carpenter shop when people came to speak to him. He was tempted to show off just in the same way uh, that we are. He was tempted to blow a huge amount of money at Tony and Guy on some very flash haircut uh, to show off. But he prayed and he prayed uh, and he prayed. And we know he went off to lonely places. He got away from his hens. He was up at night like uh, some folk were uh, this week. He left his friends behind so that he could pray. And we need to do the same. And what do we need to be praying about? Well, I think it's kind of implied here from the passage that actually we need to pray for help in submitting and in loving and in being meek. I don't think it's something we pray for very often. I don't think I do. But I think that's what we've been called to do. Ephesians 4 says we pray to be strengthened in our inner being through his spirit. It's that same sort of idea, isn't it? Jesus says in, uh, in Mark 11, God will answer whatever I ask in his name. So I have the Holy Spirit to help me and I have the promise that my prayers will be answered. And we can be sure that if we pray that we will show Jesus to the world. That's the prayer God would delight to answer. So the tanks, tanks at Cambrai, they were a war-winning uh, weapon. And we've got our own war winner. It's there in that verse. Let's pray to be meek and pray that people will see Jesus in our lives. In the, in the words of um, Alan Sugar in The Apprentice, let me summarise. He always tells nobody else can say anything now. I'm going to summarise. That's what I'm going to do. Three points, really. Firstly, this passage applies to every one of us in this room. It's not just the husbands and wives. What it's about? It's about behaving in a way that that hidden person in our heart, where the Lord Jesus lives, will be seen to everybody. Folk can see Lord Jesus in our lives. And thirdly, what do we need to do about that? Well, we need to do some practical stuff, whatever it is in our own lives. And we need to pray. Nothing should hinder our prayers. Perhaps a better summary than Alan Sugar could do uh, would come from uh, another part of the Bible. So let me read this as I end. Um, I've uh, I've changed it a little bit to suit my ends, but it's uh, you'll you'll, uh, recognize it. It's from uh, 1 Corinthians. But let me end this. uh, Let me end by reading this to us. Because God is love... And because he lives in us, we can say that we are patient, we are kind, we will not envy, we will not boast, we will not be proud. We will bear with other people. We will not be self-seeking. We will not easily be angered. We will keep no record of wrong. We will not delight in evil, but we will rejoice with the truth. We will always protect, always trust, always hope, always persevere. Amen.